few weeks ago, uh, we came to Cox Mill to check out the new lights. We wanted to make sure that uh, there wasn't a glare. Um, I don't know why that was a concern, uh, but we wanted to see if there would be a glare uh, here on Sunday morning. And so we came, and I stood in this spot uh, right here, and my mind flashed back uh, 25 years to when I was in high school. Uh, I wish that I could tell you that the, the memories that I had and the things that I started to think about uh, were life-transforming, were Christ-exalting and God-glorifying. Uh, I wish I could tell you that the first thing that came to mind was the one half day that we had, and me and my buddies went to Pizza Hut for the all-you-can-eat buffet, and we had a competition to see who could eat the most breadsticks. 27. This guy right here, my parents were so proud. Uh, I wish I could tell you that I thought back to the time after prom when my buddies and I drove from Detroit, Michigan to Sandusky, Ohio to spend the day at Cedar Point. We were there when it opened. Uh, we were there when it closed. I remember leaving Cedar Point and all of the guys in the van except my buddy and myself fell asleep and we were driving and driving and driving and I still remember seeing that sign that said, Welcome to Indiana. I don't know if you know your U.S. map, uh, but if you are traveling from Sandusky, Ohio to Detroit, Michigan, you are not supposed to pass through Indiana. And yet we did. I wish I could tell you that I thought back to a time where I, I started a, a Bible study or where I served in the community or when I stuck up for uh, those who are on the outskirts within the school district, or I stood up uh, to the bully. But uh, instead, um, the things that came to mind uh, were the moments that I regret. See, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but I have a past. I have a past, a great preacher Haddon Robinson once prayed, Lord, if these people knew about me what you know about me, they wouldn't listen to a word that I said. If I shared that past with you this morning, some of you would probably think, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> I can top that. That story seems clean to me. Other people uh, might hear the stories that I have and be uh, embarrassed feel badly for me. That's not really uh, the point. The point is that I have said and done and thought things in my life that I regret and I wish uh, I could do over. Now here's the thing though. I don't think that I am the only one. I think if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we probably could point back to a time in our lives, whether it be 25 years ago or 15 years ago or five years ago or five minutes ago and thought to ourselves, I wish I could have that back. Maybe there's a relationship that you regret, a decision that you regret. Maybe there's something that you said or did that you would desperately want to take back and yet uh, you find yourself, uh, like me, dwelling upon uh, your past. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever uh, wrestled before uh, with guilt and shame? Have you ever wrestled with guilt and shame before? Uh, this morning we're starting a three-week series where we're talking together about the impact that the resurrection has on our past, uh, our present, and how we live today, and how the resurrection gives us hope uh, for the future. But this morning I want us to 
think together for a moment about our past. I want us to think for a moment about the guilt and the shame that oftentimes we uh, carry around and can't seem to shake. Uh, Guilt and shame are not the same thing. Author Dan DeWitt says, though guilt and shame are twins, uh, born in the garden, only moments apart, they aren't identical. Uh, Guilt is usually tied to an event. I did something bad. Uh, Shame is tied to a person. I am bad. Uh, Guilt is the wound. Shame is the scar. Guilt is isolated to the individual. Uh, Shame is contagious. Have you ever experienced guilt and shame before? Now, sometimes in life we experience guilt and shame and we shouldn't, right? We have, we have misguided guilt and shame in life. I remember when Melissa and I first started dating when I was a senior at Cedarville University in Ohio. I picked her up and my, uh, my very old old, old vehicle. You would not see this on the cover of Car and Driver. It was not a sight to behold. In fact, my vehicle was falling apart. I remember when Melissa got in the car, the first thing that I said to her was, don't look up. I didn't want her to look up because my ceiling was falling down in my car, and I'm not a handyman, and so I decided, you know, I'm just going to staple it. And so I stapled my ceiling back to the roof of my car. Some guys can get away with that. Some guys just Man, just ooze cool. They can drive around in a car like that, and other people see them, and they think, I want a car like that. I was not one of those guys. I needed all the help uh, that I could get, and there was this part of me that in that moment felt shame. I was, I was embarrassed uh, because of what I was driving. It's foolish for me now to think back uh, upon that time and to consider that I actually felt some sense of shame because it was unfounded. Like, I had no reason to to think that or to feel that way. That's what I could afford. It wasn't much. It's just what I had. But there are times in life when when we experience that as well. Have you ever been ashamed of the the car you drove or the place that you lived or the school uh, that you attended or the school that you didn't attend? Have you ever been ashamed of where you came from or your family, your mom, your dad? Uh, we, We know that there are times in life when we experience misplaced guilt and shame. We project it upon ourselves, even though it has no grounding. But then there are other times in life when we experience guilt and shame uh, as a consequence of sin in our lives, right? It's, it's legitimate. We've said or done or thought something that we should not have said, done, or thought. And so we experience guilt. There was a time, Scripture records, when this wasn't a part of uh, humanity, where people did not have this experience, where they didn't think back and go, oh, I wish that I could do that over again. There was a time in Genesis chapter 2, it's recorded for us, when uh, humanity walked together, when man and wife uh, were in the garden, Genesis 2.25, they were both naked and were not ashamed. They they quite literally were were exposed and and they weren't shy about it. They didn't feel shame. They didn't try uh, to hide. But you know how the story goes. It doesn't last long before uh, guilt and shame enter into the story. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 records the first uh, cosmic game of hide-and-go-seek, right? Adam and Eve, they've they've sinned, they've drifted from the Lord, they did what he uh, told them not to do. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? And so all of a sudden, guilt and shame enter into the story. And we experience this. Sometimes we experience this on a daily basis. You, you cheat on a test. You look up an old flame on Facebook. You flirt uh, with someone at work. You have too much uh, to drink. You have a relationship that goes too far. And guilt and shame uh, enter into the picture. And so how do we deal with it? What do we, what do, we do with it when our minds flood back to decisions that we've made, things that we've said or done or thought? How do we handle it. Uh, sometimes we do it in rather unhealthy ways. Sometimes we ignore our past. We don't talk about it. We don't think about it. We don't discuss it. We keep our past decisions close to the vest. Uh, we hope that nobody finds out. Other times we try to justify the things that we've said or done or thought. We have a good reason for it. We say things like, hey, I was young. I didn't know any better. You know, the, the brain isn't fully developed until like mid-50s, and so those things that I did back in the day, I was, just, I was just a kid back then. Or maybe you respond like Adam and Eve, and you try to hide from your past, or you, you blame other people for your past. Maybe you spend your days trying to earn your way out of the past. You say, that wasn't me, that was an anomaly, it was an exception, but that's not who I am. Can I suggest to you uh, this morning that Jesus, um, Jesus provides a better way. He provides a better way. In fact, we're taught in Scripture that Jesus forgave us of our past, canceling the debt from our past so that we don't have to live in the past. Uh, this is recorded for us in Colossians chapter 2, and so uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Colossians uh, chapter 2, and I want us to think together about uh, verses 13 and 14 this morning. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says, "In you who were dead in your trespasses and the uh, uncircumcision of your flesh. And so Paul uh, writes and says this is our uh, spiritual reality. Spiritually speaking, we are uh, dead on arrival. We do not have a heart that longs for or longs after God. Right? We are spiritually dead. There's this wonderful scene in the fine uh, theological work, The Princess Bride, perhaps uh, you've seen it before. You remember when Inigo Montoyo brings Wesley to Miracle Max and says to him, he's dead. He can't talk, right? And the, the great Miracle Max, the wizard, says, oh, look who knows so much, right? Remember that? He says, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. Uh, there is a big difference between dead and mostly dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. All dead is, well, there's only one thing you can do. And he says, what's that? And he said, go through his clothes and look for spare change. And scripture teaches us that we are, are not mostly dead, spiritually speaking. Instead, we are, are dead, dead. And this is our spiritual condition. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath uh, like the rest of mankind. This is a, a bleak picture of the human condition. Now, this is not some theological category that uh, pastors or theologians uh, drum up. This is our reality. We are, we are born spiritually dead. This is our condition. Our natural spiritual condition may explain our past. It may explain why we experience guilt and shame in life, but it certainly uh, does not fix it. And it doesn't fix it. And so that's where uh, the good news of the gospel uh, comes in. This is where uh, this passage hits, in my mind, uh, really good. It says in Colossians chapter 2, And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, a God made alive uh, together with him. Right, so there's two things that happen. Okay, God uh, makes us alive. Uh, if you are a Christian, you are a Christian, a follower of Christ because of the great work that God has done in you. He did it. Right, he did, you didn't earn it. You, you didn't finally figure things out for yourself. Um, God did it. It says God made alive. Anytime, uh, anytime we experience new birth, it is a miracle. Right? It is true if it happens for a six-year-old uh, who, who battles selfishness in her own heart and her eyes are open to the beauty of the gospel. It is true of a 46-year-old uh, who wrestles and struggles for sobriety and cries out to God for help. Regardless of the circumstances, if we are, are born spiritually dead, when God does a work in us and opens our eyes, it is a miracle and it is reason uh, to celebrate. It's reason to celebrate and yet I'm amazed at how easy it is for us to compare our resurrection stories to other people. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever heard a story that someone has told and said, now, now that, that's a good story. That, that's, a, that's a testimony. Man, I, I like that one. You know, the, the details are kind of sketchy, right? There's some, there's some bad stuff that someone did in their past. God does something miraculous in their life. Their eyes are open and they're following Jesus. And we applaud those stories. But it's amazing to me that there's a whole group of stories. There's a whole lot of stories that we don't celebrate. Right? If someone uh, comes to Christ when they're, when they're 5 or when they're 12 or when they're 15... Those are just kind of like your average run-of-the-mill stories. We just kind of assume that. Well, they, they grew up in a Christian home or they grew up in the church. And yet, if this is true, what Paul is saying, uh, when a resurrection takes place, uh, it is a miracle. I mean, could you imagine what it would be like if people had physical resurrections and they started comparing their story to someone else's story? Could you imagine if the widow at Nain's son met uh, Jairus' uh, daughter and said, oh, you were raised from the dead the same day you were sick? Right? You died and Jesus raised you the same day? That's very unimpressive. Uh, he raised me at my funeral. Right? I mean, you, you had just died. I was dead for a few days. And then Lazarus shows up and says, you were resurrected when you were kids. Like, that doesn't even count. I was an adult. Right, how foolish would, it, would that be if we did that? Because resurrection stories are miraculous stories. And we are told here in Colossians chapter 2 that God raised us to life. God did it. It said God made alive uh, together uh, with him. Now uh, we are as the people of God together uh, with him. 
Recently, I had an opportunity to attend a Charlotte Hornets basketball game. Uh, my boys were uh, given a couple tickets, and they were good tickets. They were, they were close to the court. They were playing the Houston Rockets, and so we were excited to see the game. I had a couple other tickets that were in the nosebleed that were way on top, section 326. I think it was row N. Uh, we, were, we were there. We were in the building, but not by much. And uh, my buddy and I sat way up at the top, and we saw our boys way down close to the action. And we had watched a few minutes of the game before my friend said, uh, hey, I know someone uh, who has a suite. Um, let's, let's go and say hello, uh, which is code for these seats are lousy. I know people. And so uh, I, would, I would like to say that I was like, yes, let's do that. But the first thought I had was, but we don't have tickets. Like, these are our tickets up here. Like, we don't, we don't belong in the suite. But he's just one of those guys that goes places where he doesn't belong. And so, and so I followed him. And the whole time, I'm like, there's going to be a lady by the elevators or a man. And they're going to they're gonna look official. And they're going to ask for our tickets. They're not going to let us on the elevators that go to the suites. We're never going to be able uh, to get in. I'm thinking this the whole time. And sure enough, we come to the lady. There's a lady there right by the elevators, and she looks very official. And she asked my friend a question about whether or not he had tickets. And I don't know, I don't know what took place from the time he said hello to 30 seconds later when she said, enjoy the game. But he said something magical. Right, and he started taking a few steps toward the elevator. And she looked up at me. I was still a few feet behind, and I just went, I'm with him. Right, and I just followed him. And I read this, and I'm like, that's, that's sort of what we get to do with the Lord. But he, he just takes us places where we don't belong, and we just go, I'm just with him. Right, and so we get to enjoy the adventure of being with God. God made us alive uh, with him. The question then becomes, how did that happen? How does it happen? How can we go from spiritual death to spiritual life? Right? In other words, like, what do I do with my very real guilt and my very real shame that I feel from my sin? And it says right here, Paul says, God made alive together with him, having forgiven our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. How does God deal with our guilt and our shame? God in Christ has forgiven us. David, who was described as a man after God's own heart, still had uh, quite the past. He experienced this forgiveness that God offered. He writes about it in Psalm 32. He says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then he says in verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So what do we do when we experience uh, guilt and shame in life? We come uh, to the cross. We look to the empty tomb. We uh, remember that God in Christ has extended uh, forgiveness to us. Forgiveness has been defined as releasing someone from a debt that they owe and could never pay back. Right? Releasing someone from a debt that they owe 
and could never pay back. This is what God in Christ has done uh, for us. He did it by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He, he took all those bills that we uh, were getting and he forgave them. It says he set them aside, nailing it to uh, the cross. In other words, Jesus paid our debt. He paid the punishment that we rightfully deserve. Uh, J.B. Phillips, in his translation of this passage, captures this idea. He says, Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments, which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. Have you ever been in debt before? Have you ever been in debt before? As students, you probably don't quite understand or or have experienced what this feels like, but maybe your mom or dad has. Maybe some of us who are older and lived a little life uh, know what it's like to experience the weight of debt. A number of years ago, I experienced a story that uh, forever changed my uh, perspective or my view on what it looks like to cancel out or to wipe away debt. Uh, we, as a family, and I say family, but primarily me, uh, found ourselves in a significant amount of debt. I had a heart procedure about five, six years ago, and uh, I don't know if you've priced those out or not, but <laughs> those heart surgeries are expensive. And uh, we had a number of things go wrong in our home, and uh, the, the debt, it just seemed like it was just piling up. And when I would look at the bills every month, I thought to myself, there is no way that we will ever be able uh, to get out of this. Man, I just felt the, the weight of that. Um, and then I met a man uh, who uh, forever changed my life. I had one breakfast with him. I didn't know him well. He was a friend of a friend. He uh, caught wind of our uh, little or big uh, predicament. And he did something that changed my life uh, forever. One day I walked out to the mailbox to get uh, the mail. And when I pulled out the mail, there was a letter uh, in the mailbox. And it, it was handwritten. And I, I, the address didn't look familiar to me. But I knew uh, that it came uh, from a place uh, that I had not been. When I opened up the letter, uh, I pulled out a check. And the check had completely uh, paid off all of the debt that we owed. When I saw that check, I literally began to weep. And I sat down, I still remember this, I sat down on the stairs in front of her house, and I am just crying, I'm just like ugly cry, like a baby. And uh, the neighbors probably thought I was nuts. And Melissa walks outside, and she sees me crying on the front step of her house, and she's like, James, like, what is wrong? And I just held up this, this check. She looked at it, and she was like, oh, my gosh. I called this guy who sent me uh, this check, and the first thing that I said to him through my tears was, you do not even know me. Like, you don't know me. You don't, you don't even know my last name. I'm like, you cannot do this for me. He said, I don't have to know you. He said, I love you. I've never forgotten that. I've told that story again and again, because it has profoundly impacted and changed the way that I view God's love and affection for his kids. We, we stand before a holy and a righteous God. We are indebted to him. 
And if we even saw the debt that we owed, it would blow our minds. And God in Christ has, because of his perfect sacrifice on the cross, that he has wiped it out, right? He's wiped it out. If you are here this morning and you are experiencing guilt and shame in your life, if you are someone who would describe yourself as on the outskirts of faith, maybe you have questions about the faith or you're wrestling with uh, the faith or you're wondering things about faith, I want you know, to know that the guilt and the shame that you, can, you experience can uh, be wiped away uh, through faith in Christ. Jesus was God's perfect son. He came, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death. He was buried uh, and he rose again, defeating death and offering life uh, to you and to me. If you are here this morning and you, you experience uh, guilt and shame, but you do it because there's something in your past uh, that you have not dealt with. There's something that you're hanging on to. There's a secret that you're keeping. There's something that you're just unwilling to let go of. I want you uh, to know that you too can experience the forgiveness that God offers to you in Christ. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that not good news? Right? Forgiveness is yours and forgiveness is mine. If you are here this morning and you have been uh, set free, you've trusted in the finished work of Jesus, uh, you've confessed uh, your sin, you've had the appropriate conversations, but man, it just seems like guilt and shame continue to rear its ugly head uh, in your life. I want you to know that your past may influence you, your past may influence you, but your past does not define you, right? It does not uh, define you. You have been set free, you have been given a new identity. Pastor and author Tim Keller says, your identity is received, it is not achieved. It's received, it's not achieved. If you are a child of God, then you have been set free. And so I pray uh, by the powerful name of Jesus that God's grace uh, would wash over you uh, this morning and you would experience uh, the freedom that is yours in Christ. Because of him, uh, we have nothing to hide, we have nothing uh, to fear, and we have nothing to prove. Praise God for that. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for uh, the good work of Jesus. Thank you for uh, the life that has been given to us and the freedom that has been extended to us uh, because of his work. Uh, God, we give you thanks this morning that uh, in your uh, graciousness, in your goodness, in uh, your mercy, you have allowed us uh, to experience a life. Thank you for the freedom that we have uh, because we have been set free uh, from our past. Uh, they may influence us, but they do not uh, define us. You have done that, and so we give you thanks. God, we love you. We thank you so much uh, that you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit.